Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And this week, our topical discussion is around a subject that we've touched on quite often in the past. And it's one of the biggies in terms of business. It's motivation. We, uh, we thought it was worth, particularly at the moment, to look at what it is that motivates us to act, what it is that motivates our team to act. Uh, and it just seemed like when we've all potentially lost the will to live, um, it's worth tapping into what makes us tick. So I started off by going right the way back to basics, as we often do on this show, looking at what, are the de- what is the definition of motivation. So motivation is a word derived from the word motive, which means needs, desires, wants or drives within the individual. It is the process of stimulating people to actions to accomplish the goals. And in a work context, uh, there are different things that motivate people. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by success. Some people are motivated by doing good work. Uh, And so if you split it into two, we have intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation, and that will crop up a lot through today's discussion. So intrinsic is when you uh, engage in a behaviour because it is personally rewarding. So that wouldn't be money, that wouldn't be success, that would be the feeling that you were doing the right thing. Whereas extrinsic is where you are driven by external rewards such as money, fame, grades, praise. Uh, So I think it's useful to even just as individuals for us to double check, wonder which of those motivates us the most. What, uh, what, What did you find on this subject Tracy? Well, I killed two birds with one stone. Um, So we're profiling a gentleman who wrote about motivation um, in this show. So I I leapt straight to one of his books. So Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us by Daniel Pink. And in that book, he argues that human motivation is largely intrinsic. And um, he divides that intrinsic motivation into three categories, autonomy, mastery and purpose and in the book he argues against the old models of motivation which are the extrinsic um, rewards or fear of punishment so that 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 was quite an interesting introduction for me but I went on and I found a quiz I love a quiz in an article that was on Forbes website there there was um, a quiz um, there was sort of a link from the article into a website called Leadership IQ. And it says, what motivates you at work? And it divides it into five categories, achievement, power, affiliation, security, and adventure. Now I thought, I'll have a go at this. And I couldn't really say actually what it was that motivated me out of those five. I've got a good sense of what I'm motivated by. And I've got to say, I am more motivated by intrinsic than extrinsic factors, although I've got to admit a fear of punishment would would be quite motivating, but not quite (laughs) in the same way. Um, So I did this quiz. It was quite a good one. You know, it's the sort of quiz where you're asked to choose between two options, but actually you probably would like to choose both of them. So you've really got to decide which one is more important to you. 
And it turns out that my primary motivator in work is affiliation. Um, where I've got a high need for affiliation, wanting harmonious relationships with other people and prefer to work um, with people um, in an organisation that provides significant personal interaction. I've got to say that did surprise me, but then I have made decisions about which workplaces um, I stay at based on the people there sometimes. So um, I'm quite happy on my own as well. I, I'm, I'm more of an introvert, so I'm quite happy to work on my own. But clearly, I, I have to agree that um, I do work well in a team and I do actually like to bounce off other people in the team as well. Mm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's worth having a go, if you like, a quiz anyway, and just to see what you think. I found um, a couple of interesting articles, one on a website called skillsyouneed.com, uh, where it really starts to talk about the ability to motivate yourself. Very often, you know, we look in business um, to be motivated, to be inspired, whether it's by a good doing good work or whether it's financial, um, you know, or otherwise. Uh, but actually, most of us at some time or another struggle with motivating ourselves, you know, and particularly at the moment, you know, that that sense of, well, kind of what's the point and how do I kickstart and how, yeah, how do I get moving again? Um, the article is, is quite in-depth um, and it talks about, um, it's written by a guy called Daniel Goleman who um, talks about emotional intelligence and we've touched on that quite a lot in the past. And he talks about the elements of self-motivation. The first might be a personal drive to achieve you know you want to achieve something it doesn't need to be work uh, and he talks about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset those with the fixed mindset believe that talent is ingrained and that we cannot change our level of ability you know this is as good as it's going to get kind of thing whereas those with a growth mindset believe that they can improve their skills through hard work and effort and achieve great things uh, he talks about being committed to goals you know, it's one thing identifying a goal, but then you've actually got to stick with it and be committed to it. You've got to find the initiative to act, uh, the ability to take advantage of to take advantage of opportunities when they occur. And he goes on looking at, you know, how optimistic you are, how resilient you are, etc. But it's quite an in-depth article, but it really gives you food for thought. And it talks more about that intrinsic, extrinsic thing as well so just to finish this section then i just thought um i'd mention this article i found called um the 10 best answers to what motivates you in a job interview um some some questions just um you feel like you, you're not really quite sure what it is the interview is after in there so what would you say to that question heather well, well, what motiv what motivates me is, um, I think, is doing the right thing. I think that's, you know, the most important thing. But whether um, an employer would want to hear that, it would depend on the role, yeah. depend on the organisation. Um, yeah, what would you say? Well, in this article, um, algrim.co is the website. It, it gives a few suggestions. It says, first of all, don't let money into the picture even if it is truly your top motivator make sure your answer isn't all about the money um, then 
personal reasons are okay. Don't be afraid to offer a personal reason for what motivates you, but use good judgment with the examples you choose. Um, don't tell lies. Don't lie or make up on the spot. I think that's probably good advice in an interview anyway, because um, the interviewer will probably be able to tell that you're making it up on the spot. Um, did say to be specific where possible. So connect your answer to a measurable result or outcome from a previous role and be prepared. Uh, never answer with I don't know or I'm not sure. And always answer with excitement. There you go, Heather. So <laughs> would you like to reframe your answer? What motivates you, Heather? <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, yeah, well, it's still it's still doing the right thing, but it's doing the right thing for the greater good, I think. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... I think that, yeah, this isn't an interview, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And in other news, I once again went to the ONS website. But this week, I've not focused on the social impacts report because... Actually, it's showing a fairly steady trend in all of the categories that we've mentioned in previous weeks. There was another report that caught my eye, not least because there were some headlines in the main media last week about this significant drop in GDP over the month. So I thought I'd, I'd look behind the headlines and, and see where this data had come from. And the ONS does a monthly business survey I fill one in for the company I work for. Um, they've also gathered some external data from over 15,000 businesses. And this is where the, um, the evidence of a significant and wide-ranging negative impact on output has come from. So April 2020 has shown sharper falls than March as the negative impacts of social distancing and lockdown really started to take hold. And the headline figure that you will have probably all heard in the mainstream media is that GDP fell by 20%, 20.4% to be precise, in that month from March to April. And it's the largest fall since monthly records began in 1997. And the report goes on to separate out um, the different um, the different changes in output between service sector, production and construction. And the monthly decline in GDP in April is three times greater than the fall experienced during the 2008 to 2009 economic downturn, just to put it into context. Uh, the global financial crisis during that time, um, at the peak in February 2008, um, the GDP contracted only by 6.9%. So between March 2020 and April 2020, GDP has fallen by 20.4%, which is the equivalent of a fall of approximately £30 billion. Wow. That's so it's, it? it's amazing, isn't it? And the output of service industries fell by 19%, which is the largest monthly fall since 1997. It goes into a lot more detail in uh, into all the different sections, such as accommodation, food, beverages, libraries, museums, arts, etc. Um, production industries had a strong decline in output of 20.3% which is the largest monthly fall since records for production output began in 1968. 
and by far the most significant impact has been on the construction industry. They've had a decline in output of 40.1% during April and that is the largest fall since monthly records began for construction industry in 2010. So it, it's really, um, when, when you put it into figures, it's really shocking when you, you see the impact that it's had on the industry. And looking at those different sectors, I think that's, it's really interesting, rather than it all just being lumped together in one figure. Yeah. It's really interesting to see where those, those biggest dips are. Yeah. Well, they, they, they do give in, in the report, um, the top five monthly percentage falls at an industry level, and this is in manufacturing. So um, with growth of minus 90.3%, motor vehicles, trailers, and semi-trailers, Furniture is contracted by 69.7%. Leather and related products by 592 Wearing apparel, I think they mean clothes there, 5222 yeah. <laughs> And wood and wood products except furniture of 51%. So that's on the Office for National Statistics. If you go to their release calendar, you can see all the details. And you may want to have a look and see whether your experience in your business is aligned with the industry sector that you're in it's worth taking a look for sure for sure i came across an interesting story that um, that broke earlier this week about ikea we've talked about ikea many times on the show and they're always quite innovative and they're kind of ahead of the curve um, they are planning to repay salaries that have been paid by governments around the world under their different furlough schemes. Uh, apparently it is set to repay nine governments, including the US and Ireland, for money that has been um, paid to staff who have been uh, laid off, or not, not laid off, furloughed, uh, furloughed, furloughed. yeah. yeah. Um, however, to start with, you might think it's a bit odd because it says it's, it doesn't include the UK and you think, well, why aren't they going to pay back the UK? But it turns out that actually they furloughed 10,000 UK workers and they didn't claim back the salaries from the government. Wow. So they, didn't, they didn't claim that furlough pay, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, other firms that are doing the same is Games Workshop and The Spectator magazine both saying that they will repay the money to the government so i thought that was a really interesting um story and then sticking with the pay theme uh, a few things that cropped up in management today there's an article about um pay morrison's are going to be paying all of their frontline staff a six percent bonus on their earnings for the next 12 months uh, Ocado staff have been awarded a 10% bonus. You see the sort of food theme going on here. Yeah. Cineworld, which obviously has just, you know, shut up shop and, and is waiting for announcements. The executive directors have agreed not to take any of the salaries and bonuses they are owed. And Marks and Spencer are paying non-furloughed staff 115% of their salary. Wow. So rather, which I I think is is really powerful because there is inevitably going to be some some kickback for those people who have been furloughed and at home and those people who have actually been on the front line exposing themselves to the risk. Um, you know what's in it for them. So I thought that was really interesting. And then on a slightly lighter note, um, 
I'm, I'm very interested in Hello Kitty because I've got a brother who's living in Japan at the moment. Um, the founder of the Japanese company that created Hello Kitty has announced he is stepping down as CEO, handing over control um, to his 31-year-old grandson. And this, the gentleman in question is aged 92. Wow. I think he's given plenty of service there then, hasn't he? I think he has. I think he has. And I think we're all familiar with Hello Kitty. Um, it, the organisation has suffered a decline in Japan. Uh, however, uh, what I thought was amazing is that there are Hello Kitty bullet trains, Hello, Hello Kitty aeroplanes, um, and I think there's a Hello Kitty theme park. So um, they diversified. It's more than just the little, you know, the little Hello Kitty doll. But um, hopefully that's a slightly lighter story uh, to end on this week. In our review section this week, we are reviewing a book. Uh, Tracy suggested this book a couple of weeks ago and said, oh, why don't we have a little look through it and see what we both think? And I think it's fair to say that we've both taken quite different things from the book. Um, the book is How Will You Measure Your Life? by Clayton Christensen, James Allworth and Karen Dillon. And the subtitle is Finding Fulfillment Using Lessons from Some of the World's Greatest Businesses. And that's certainly true. That's that's kind of what they do. Um, it's uh, we sort of spotted it or Tracy spotted it on Kindle Unlimited, which any regular listener to the show will know that we are avid members of and um, we're constantly swapping books to and fro so that we can review things for the show uh, and it was it was free on Kindle Unlimited so um, we thought we'd have a look now Tracy when you suggested this book what you found in reality is it the same as what your expectation was set up I'm not quite sure what I was expecting, but the word measure in the title, I suppose I expected more metrics, <laughs> literally oh, okay. the ability to measure things. Um, what I found was um, something that, and this might be a strange um, comparison, but I found it quite similar to a book we reviewed a couple of weeks ago called Ripple, where the author is talking about their experiences and imparting knowledge based on their own experiences so in a way it leads you through the material with, with his solid experience which gives it the credibility i think you know there's real people talked about here and it's not just something he's dreamt up overnight in his back bedroom and then written down and sold as an ebook so um although it wasn't quite what i was expecting i found it an enjoyable read yeah okay it's weird isn't it how your expectations are set differently I mean I thought the title I so I wasn't expecting metrics I was afraid it was going to be a bit lifey and not very businessy but actually a lot of the stories are around business models business strategies th examples of things that have happened within business and there were two that caught my eye I, I had a look at the index I haven't read the whole book I have to admit I had a look at the index and I decided okay which uh, partly because I don't like Kindle, but um, which chapters leapt out at me? And the first one is a title which is, um, what job did you hire that milkshake for? And I thought, right, okay, I need to have a look at that. And to pray see what he's talking about, he's talking about a, fast, a large fast food chain um, that he doesn't name, but I think we can all start to guess who it might be. 
uh, and how um, how how and why people buy their products. Now he says that you don't buy a milkshake, you hire a milkshake or any product to fill a need. So what is that milkshake doing? It's not a drink, is it? It's not sating your thirst. It's a thing. So he talks about if you understand why people are buying your products, what what need it ticks, what what purpose it serves, then you can start to tap into what tweaks you might need to make to that product and or why they're doing it. So to use the milkshake analogy, they looked at who was buying milkshakes? When, what time of day were they buying milkshakes? Were they buying them and drinking them in the restaurant? Were they taking them away? And they started to see this pattern that in the morning, the people who were buying milkshakes and they, and they interviewed them and they said, right, you've bought a milkshake, what are you doing? They, they come in, they buy it and they leave and they're gonna drink that milkshake on their commute into the office. Okay, so it's beyond breakfast, but it's before like elevens is coffee or whatever. Okay, right. So that's what you're doing. So what purpose is that serving? It's giving them something that makes their journey to work a bit more palatable because it's a treat. Then they look on the flip side and they look later on in the day and they notice that a lot of milkshakes in the afternoon are being bought by dads. They're bringing in their kids. And the kids said, you know, they come for a hamburger and then the kid says, can I have a milkshake? And dad says yes, because he's sick of always saying no to his kid. And he thinks, well, I can give him a milkshake. It's fairly low cost. So the kid gets the milkshake. They sit down, they eat, they, they eat their meal. Dad eats, kid eats. There's still all this blooming milkshake left because it takes a long time to drink because of the um, viscosity of the liquid. And then dad gets impatient and the kid chucks away the milkshake. All right, they don't take it with them. So then they're like, well, okay, maybe we could sell smaller milkshakes in the afternoon to address that need. So it was really, really clever. And, and I've never given so much thought into why somebody buys a strawberry milkshake for argument's sake. I, I just buy it because <laughs> I, want, I want to treat myself to something that is very, very naughty. <laughs> well, I've never really thought that in depth about a milkshake myself before. No, but but really, really interesting, really fascinating. Um, and then the other story that I came across, it goes back to um, well, he touches on the IKEA model. But I'm not sure if we were talking a few weeks ago. Uh, do you remember the days of blockbuster video when you used oh, to yeah. go, you know, before Netflix and Freeview and all of that, you'd go and you'd rent a video or a DVD for the night. And then um, they would say that you need to bring it back the next night or two nights later. So looking at that business model, it's great. However, from Blockbuster's point of view, they own all of these DVDs for argument's sake. They are only earning money when they're out being rented but while they're out being rented they're not available to anybody else for rental so they started to charge a late return fee fairly straightforward but that wasn't enough to motivate people to bring them back on time because they, they basically wanted you to take the video watch it bring it back that's their ideal model. It's out of their shop for four hours and then it's back. 
anyway um so then they put up the price to incentivize people to return more promptly and there was a point in the business's um history when it was earning more money from late return fees than it was from the rental of video and dvd <laughs> just just something i just something really interesting i just you know so i like it for that it's got these little stories that are really you would you would never know you wouldn't find that out elsewhere what else have you got trace okay so right at the beginning of the book i liked um a sentence i don't promise this book will offer you an easy answer working through these questions requires hard work and then he says it has taken me decades i like that it's not it's not quick fix um you know this takes some re personal reflection and some thought and it might take years it to get it right even if you do get it right but uh, I, I like the honesty of that one um and then i i skipped to a section um which is about finding happiness in your career and i thought it linked in with our subject discussion this week uh, he says the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work and the only way to do great work is to love what you do if you haven't found it yet keep looking don't settle as with all matters of the heart you'll know when to find it now there might be some listeners out there for whom that is very true um, he goes on to say about motivation that true motivation is getting people to do something because they want to do it just in a sentence there i think that is absolutely right and i like this um he says the opposite of job dissatisfaction isn't job satisfaction but rather an absence of job dissatisfaction if you can get your head around that so just because you're not dissatisfied doesn't automatically mean you're satisfied you're just not dissatisfied i think that's a really important distinction for employers to make and then the other bit I picked up on is I wasn't quite sure when I did that test whether I really was just motivated by affiliation. I get a sense that I'm motivated by a few more different things than that. And, and in this book, he says that motivation factors include challenging work, recognition, responsibility and personal growth. And I think that's quite a a broader view on motivation and work than just those five ones that we looked at at the beginning of the show and I think everybody could have a level of challenging work that suits them a level of recognition and responsibility and a type of personal growth that suits them so I, I sort of bonded with that a little bit more and then he, he goes on to say that if you're yet to find something that really works in your career expecting to have a clear vision of where your life will take you is just wasting time and in this whole section he was talking about the fact that it is good to have a plan but you really have got to be prepared to divert from that plan and he tells a story about how his plan was to um, become the editor of um, a big newspaper i've forgotten which one it is now and every decision he was taking through his career it was like he kept going back to yes i'll come back to that i'll come back to that he never actually got back to it but he made some really good career choices along the way and he spent 20 odd years in academia as a professor and he's very happy but it wasn't where he originally thought he was going to be interesting stuff so that's how will you measure your life 
by Clayton Christensen, James Allworth and Karen Dillon. We will put a link to that and all of the things and all the articles and stories that we've talked about in today's show on our website, which is thebusiness.community. On the business community this week, I've already given away the name of the person that we're going to be profiling, and it's Daniel Pink. On Twitter, his bio says, Daniel Pink, author of six books, father of three kids, husband of one wife. He lives in Washington, D.C. He joined in April 2008 and has 436,000 followers. And he has written, like, let's have a look, um, Drive, which is the one that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which is about motivation. When? A Whole New Mind and To Sell Is Human. And we've reviewed To Sell Is Human. And it is one of my favourite books as well. And I'm surprised we haven't profiled him before now, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know why we haven't. I don't know why we haven't. I, um, I've got a copy of the book Drive uh, and I watched uh, a TED talk, like, um, like just under 20 minutes long. Um, 26 million people have viewed it, which I think is, you know, that's quite a few people. That's since 2009. <laughs> yes, yeah, just a few. Um, and the, the talk is called The Puzzle of Motivation. And from that, um, within that 20 minutes, a lot of the, the some of the things that he's talking about are mentioned in the book drive uh, and essentially he talks about um, the carrot and stick method and why it works and why it doesn't work he talks about when to use rewards to motivate people and when not to and there's quite a lot of research been done in what you think motivates somebody doesn't necess isn't necessarily the thing that does motivate them and there are occasions when uh, people are motivated by reward. And sometimes there are occasions when people are motivated by being useful. And we've talked about that already. Uh, he uses an example, the, the candle example uh, problem, where you're presented with a candle, a, some matches um, and a box of tacks. And you have got to fix the candle to the wall and light it and they set the same challenge to two different groups of people and they said to one of them if you are we, we want you to do it because we want to figure out how quickly this can be done and what's the best way to do it and to the other group they said if you're the fastest people to do this you'll get 50 bucks or whatever it is <laughs> and the people who had been offered the money took less time um but the people who had who um no sorry the people who were offered the money took more time but the people who uh, hadn't been offered the money they were interested in doing it right and they thought outside of the box and they literally found a way to um, i won't spoil what he says because i think you need to to watch it but the results weren't what you would expect them to do and that sort of started the whole the essence of the talk which is um yeah which is particular it, 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 it's it's a good talk uh, and his delivery is great. He's um, self-deprecating. He's funny, but he's he knows his stuff. And I, I quite like that that mixture uh, in a speaker. What did you look at, Trace? Uh, well, I went to his website. There's some really interesting uh, resources in there. So, um, first of all, I watched a couple of pink casts. 
and these are um, video blogs um, minute a minute and a half long all of them and uh, you really get a good insight into his personality it's like a just a little bit of an insight into him as a person not doing a, a formal speech he's obviously he's, he's appeared on a lot of television programs just looking here npr pbs abc cnn and a load of other radio networks in america um but in his own little pink casts you just get a sense that he's just talking to you and really like that so the two i watched uh, the first one was this is one smart simple thing you should do before bedtime and he he writes one sentence in a book he's got a five-year journal and he just reckons that um he writes one sentence in a book so it enables him to either finish the day it enables him to set himself a question to think about as he's sleeping or just to record something that he's heard something that he's interested in and he says that it's also providing him, so it might get his mind thinking while he's sleeping, but it's also providing him with a lot of material that he could go back and use. Well, that was an interesting one thing to do before bedtime. Yeah. And then the other one, which I, I latched onto, probably because my house is full of books, and this uh, pink cast was how to clear out your unwanted books. And okay. he uses the Marie Kondo method. So he had taken a load of books. There were three bookcases behind him. And he did appear to have put all of his books in piles on the floor. So impressive because I've recently had to do that because I've decorated. And it's hard work. <laughs> but what I should have done before I put them back on the shelf is I should have picked each one up and decided if it gave me joy and I'm not sure I did that now it was interesting because he started to do the process and and the first three books he picked up he went oh yeah that's one of my favorites yes I love that and I thought this is going to be awkward when he gets to one where he says I don't like that I'm going to get rid of this book so I thought how's he going to handle this but then the next three books he picks up are all his own. So he makes a bit of a joke. So he goes, oh, drive. No, get rid of that one. When? Oh, get rid of that one. So um, you get the idea of what you have to do. But he didn't expose himself by saying, naming an author of one of their books and making them feel really bad because Daniel Pink has thrown it away. And then the other um, resource I would mention from the website is a discussion guide for businesses this is in the resource section uh, it's a pdf and i'm just trying to uh, get technology to work for me now as we as we um on air i should have had this ready okay so when is is a book called um is a book called when when is a book that's subtitled the scientific secrets of perfect timing and it's just got in this pdf 17 questions for businesses who are trying to decide the right timing for something to ask themselves. So in the book, Pink argues that individuals and organizations don't consider questions of when as seriously as they do questions of what, who, and how. And when I reflected on that, I thought that was really quite true. So um, 
it, it, these questions just lead you through thinking about timing and it's a great little resource so I thought I would just point that one out um, and then um, I didn't get a chance to watch the TED talk I was a little bit disappointed in that one but I think the pink cast made up for it Heather yeah no they sound really good they sound really good just before we leave this one thing a, a term that I'd never heard of is um the um something called row a, re a results only work environment created by two american consultants in place at a dozen companies this is in 2009 around north america in a row people don't have schedules they show up when they want they don't have to be in the office at a certain time or at any time they just have to get their work done how they do it when they do it where they do it is totally up to them and meetings in these kinds of environments are optional and he says what happens almost across the board productivity goes up worker engagement goes up worker satisfaction goes up staff turnover goes down autonomy mastery and purpose are the building blocks of a new way of doing things and i've never heard of that before but i think because of the coronavirus situation I think there's going to need to be more of that. And I think it's something that we should embrace. I see it as an opportunity. Uh, yeah. Had you ever heard of that before? I hadn't, no. But uh, as you say, in, in the current situation, I think there's a great opportunity for businesses to, to really use this sort of thinking to get the most out of their teams. So that was a profile, a very brief one, albeit, of Daniel H. Pink. He was uh, named as the sixth most influential management thinker in the world by Thinkers 50, a list that we've mentioned previously. So that's all we've got time for this week. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Bye.